You're listening to Wastoids. Hey, this is Jason from Wastoids. Have you ever gone to the record store and picked up a record and got it home, put it on your turntable, only to find that it's all hissy and it's got pops and there's smudges all over it? It's a real drag. That's the thing about vinyl. It sounds its best when you're working with a clean record. And that is why I dig Groove Washer. Their products are designed and made in Kansas City, Missouri, right here in the U.S., by people who are as passionate about music and vinyl as you are. Groove Washer offers everything you need to ensure your records sound their best, with cleaning fluids for every available cleaning method, be it manual, vacuum, or ultrasonic if you want to go real in on it. We've got a special deal for Wastoids listeners, too. Head over to www.groovewasher.com and enter the discount code WASTOIDS10 to get 10% off your record cleaning supplies. That's WASTOIDS10 in all caps. Enter that at checkout at GrooveWasher.com and get 10% off everything you need to keep your vinyl clean and pristine. Thanks, GrooveWasher. Welcome to episode four of The Special Podmas with Pat Wilson, Adam Willard, and Carl Cook on Wastoids. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. We're celebrating the first ever vinyl release of The Special Goodness's 2004 album Land, Air, Sea, which is available now along with a killer new Special Goodness shirt over at thespecialgoodness.com. It's pressed on high-quality red-colored wax, and it comes to you from Hello Records in partnership with Epitaph. Features remastered artwork and is limited to only 1,000 copies. This is our final episode of the podcast for now, and in it, we're going under the hood to discuss where Pat's inspiration as a songwriter comes from. Though he's primarily known as Weezer's drummer, his songwriting factored into that band's classic albums right away. And across four different albums with a special goodness, he's crafted a body of work that encompasses catchy, riff-centric pop songs. So where does he get his inspiration? Let's dig in with Pat, Carl, and Adam and find out. Pat, what were your, what were, you were already, I mean, you joined Weezer as a singer-songwriter and were part of the sort of writing crew, you know, in the early days of, of uh, Weezer. What, who were some of your songwriting influences? And, uh, you know, were, were there things that you were listening to when you were working on what would become the special goodness stuff that, that you know sticks out to you i i read somewhere that you were a big talk talk fan and that's oh yeah i was a little uh i was like oh that's not something i would have expected necessarily although you know i love talk talk so much well i hate songs first of all <laughs> and so you honestly, must that's, that's that's sort of a joke but honestly all my favorite records like aren't really made by uh people who could sit down with an acoustic guitar and play those records you know what i mean like sure. i love zeppelin i love rush i love uh i love talk talk but those it's all vibe so like i just love vibe and mm. um so that's where my head was at at the time like i in fact with weezer i didn't even 
those aren't songs. I, I just made the music and gave it to Rivers, and he sang on it on three songs. And I think he added a the climb at the end of Jonas, and you know, mm-hmm. like yeah, stuff like that. But I don't know. Like, I don't think I am influenced by song writers, really. Sure, Funny. sure. Like, I love Talking Heads. Like, you know, a lot of that music is just grooves and vibe with lyrics on top and i guess that's kind of i think that's the actually how i what my problem is <laughs> i don't <laughs> like i don't i don't like songs i just like music you like you like blissing out right I, yeah i want i just want to vibe out but like somehow with like forward motion so it doesn't get like all jammy you know yeah sure. can't, we can't yeah we can't have we can't have dead in company pat did you you play pretty much everything on the first on the first uh two records right that would have that would be considered special goodness records yeah, it's so funny to look back on all this stuff now like yeah i you know weezer's not doing anything and i'm i'm just trying to like get vibe out of my head onto a recording yeah and and like so like the thing with tony lash came out I, we call that the bunny record i guess mm-hmm. and then uh, the Pinecone record, which is super thrift, like it's just me in a bedroom. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's For essentially thrift. the story of of somebody with a lot of go, but lot, not a lot of no. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think we I think we just found the tagline for the podcast. <laughs> Here's an idiot who thinks he can do stuff. <laughs> Watch him go. <laughs> I think uh, uh, adding Adam to the mix gave us the gave us a lot of go for various reasons. That's I true. Can, I, can, I can elaborate on, but um, right. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely, definitely want to get not not anymore. No, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so we well, got a lot of go. We just go. Let's go back and discuss for one second the the rush unplugged thing. Uh, you know, really a missed opportunity for them to do an unplugged session, just acoustic, maybe some brushes. <laughs> yeah. Just really get more sensitive about the temples of syrinx. Yeah. 21, yeah. Tw- 21, 12, uh, you know, unplugged would be pretty cool. Yeah. The lighter could, side of the necromantic. They could have a, <laughs> they could have a kalimba. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I would love you, to see. You got to see, you got to see Neil Pert's cajon. It's wow. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say I could see, I could see Neil Pert sitting on one of those like weird box things that people just play with their hands. Yeah, that's a, that's a cajon. That's a cajon. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Not to be confused with El Cajon, cajon Ford. <laughs> yeah, different. Or well, what is it balls? So, <laughs> well, so, so Pat, were you sharing special goodness stuff with the other members of, of Weezer during this time? Were you kind of like showing like the guys like, Hey, check this out. I'm, this is what I'm working on. Um, I know that as far as side projects go, there was some overlap, you know, you're on that rentals record and, and stuff like that. So was there any sort of trading going back and forth in terms of not necessarily like songwriter workshop type stuff, but, you know, just sharing things. Well, first of all, that's hilarious that I like that I'm on the rentals record at all. He's like, Hey, would you, would you mind just coming down and like playing on these demos? I got, 
next thing I know, I'm like at Parc La Brea shooting a video looking like I'm an Eastern European refugee with a suit <laughs> on. Like, like, I don't even know what the fuck happened there. Yeah. I'm not mad about it because I think that some of those songs are really cool. Yeah. Hey, can I interject a memory? Just try to place it in the timeline. I remember being uh, in Seattle with you guys and we went to meet Stone Gossard at Loose Groove Records. Yes. And somehow this, somehow this predates the Epitaph deal because it didn't like they released like a promo single and then they didn't do anything else. But uh, who's who knew Stone? I, Adam, I'm assuming you knew Stone. I, I mean, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> well, maybe this maybe this was with Mikey then. No, it it was it with Lee. Oh, it was with Lee. Okay, so this, this yeah, it was all right that. at the end of the Lee thing, and we had played a show with this fucking super arty band, like something like Adam's Farm or something. Or <laughs> oh no, it was. I'm not even kidding. No, no, Eureka Farm. Farm. Eureka Farm. Eureka Farm. Eureka Farm. And and some the drummer for that is or was Jason McGurk, who of course plays with Death oh. Okay, got it. And so he he's he's like he's like you gotta you gotta meet Stony G because <laughs> they were all part of the the, the same Stony G. I, Josh Freeze calls him Stony G, so I, I feel like I can call him Stony G now. So that's fine. Yeah, but um, <laughs> and I remember he came to see a show and like somebody was like Jason was pumping us up to him and we met with them and like you could tell it was like a boutique label for loose groove and it was you know they had a lawyer dude and it was like you know like a small little little boutique that was fun for stone to to do and right about then they just decided hey this is a terrible business idea we're not a label anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah they released one cd promo single and then they disappeared instantly they their claim to fame was the first Queens of the Stone Age. Oh right, right. Really? Yeah. Huh. Which is coincidentally my favorite Queens of the Stone Age record. Yeah. I I feel like that's un, undisputed. We'll be right back to the special podness after a brief word from our sponsors. Night flight has always been a rite of passage, a trip of entertainment discovery, old and new. An eye-opening taste of counterculture smoked with timeless jewels of artistic buds. Now, we can finally get closer to that original cable TV experience we've all been missing with Night Flight Plus, an all-access membership to original episodes of Night Flight, as well as a library of hundreds of music documentaries, concert movies, sci-fi and horror cult films, public access rarities, and more weird stuff. Right now, Wastoids listeners can get $10 off an annual membership. That means access to Night Flight's library for only $29.99 a year. Head to www.nightflightplus.com backslash promo code and enter Wastoids in all caps. That's W-A-S-T-O-I-D-S in all caps. Enter promo code Wastoids at nightflightplus.com backslash promo code and get back in the days. And we're back with the special podness. Weezer has always been associated with side projects, 
from Brian Bell's The Space Twins to Matt Sharp's The Rentals. But the special goodness has been especially connected to Weezer. So let's flash back to 2002, when the SG joined Weezer on the Enlightenment Tour, with Adam on the drums and Pat on his trusty twin Tone King combo amps. In, in 2002, um, the big tour was the Enlightenment Tour, like the Summer Shed Tour. And this is like, it's, it's even bigger than a Summer Shed Tour because we've got another stage and this is where the other bands are going to play. And Pat, was it worked out from the get-go that you were like, I'm going to be one of those bands? Or like, how did that happen? Do you remember? You know, I can't for the life of me remember the dynamic between the whole, like Weezer and this thing. But I think... I just sort of like wanted it and it made sense because, well, we're here. There's Adam, there's me. Let's just, we can just go over there on this little side stage. And, and and wasn't, wasn't dashboard on that stage too, or were they on the big stage? They were, they were on the big stage. It was Sparta dashboard Weezer on the big stage. And the small stage was you guys, uh, AM radio and, and and then I know, downer and a, and a and a another band sometimes i can't remember who uh but yeah it was like just a little little stage for you know the people walking through the amp- amphitheater uh, attractions it was kind of fun i i remember one show on that tour i thought or maybe this is a different one but do you remember a show at that san diego shed that you played out in the, the that that open area and for some reason you played after um uh, uh, Kyle Gass's band. Oh yeah, train, tra- train wreck. A, I think that was a radio show, actually. Yeah, I think it was a ninety-one X show. And yeah, and, and Kyle Gass's band was playing, and at the perfect moment in a song where it was supposed to be really dramatic, the power died, and I thought it was part of the act. Like, like wow, that's <laughs> funny. Like that's. How did they do that? Like that came out really good, but then then they were looking around at each other and like, what's going on? It wasn't. Do they not know their joke is funny? Yeah, so weird. Yeah. Okay, but um, tell tell me though, because I feel like we did like a little West Coast run right when the record came out, and we played in like a bunch of record stores. Yeah, we did lose. Yes. We played that radio station. Where, where was that station, by the way? I probably live right near it now. And we got in trouble because we were dropping F-bombs and there was no seven-second delay. Like, where, Is that 91X? No, it was like a little... It was like a little... I don't know oh, what right. station it, it was. It was. Like, it was like, we're going to be like the rivals to 91X. We're the yes. new guys. It was yes. like... 94.9. Which 94.9. is now, of course, like the big alt station, right? Or was, but they were little um, then. But, Tiny, like they just started. Yeah, but like, and they were mad so, at us. But we played. <laughs> but we played like a couple record stores in San Diego. We did Lose. We did something down in Hillcrest or somewhere. We did North Seattle. Park. We went up. We went all the way up, right? Like, do we yeah. play yeah. San Luis Obispo or something? Or I don't remember. I think we what played the, the end were. in Seattle. The the radio station. Right, and that was and that, recorded. Actually, that that recording's probably out there somewhere. But I feel like that was like our first like road. Mm. We, Maybe that we was rented the van because Carl, is that when the fateful gas pump thing happened? No. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, because I didn't. I didn't pull away. It, we had a white van for that, but it might have been that might have been Audio Slave. I can't remember. I just know that it was it, for some reason we had that rented van. Um, I don't know why we weren't in the green van that time, but that's yeah. I, I did. I did fill up the gas tank somewhere in the valley, or I mean the the, the big valley, not the valley valley, and. I was pulling away and just kind of drove away with the gas thing still in the car. And it, it, we heard this funny noise, and then we realized we're, we're dragging the, the gas line. We've got with a tail. The, with the van. We've got a tail. That was embarrassing. <laughs> but, like, and then I feel like we played on a morning news show, but maybe that was later. That was with Jeff. Oh, no, that happened, too. But I think these were all part of the same thing. Yeah. It was like a little promo-ish kind of tour. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, it was like a morning if, I, show, some weird thrifty morning show on like something that's like a step up past cable access. Right. So weird. It was like cable all access. <laughs> Limited access. But you know what? Okay. I'm, I'm a, so if we really think about that, that was with Jeb. So that would have been after. Yeah, that was with because Jeb. The Enlightenment thing, Murphy played bass. Yeah, for like right. Until yeah. he did it. Yeah. Yeah, so so 2002 Enlightenment tour, Murphy comes in and plays those shows until he gets in trouble and has to go home or something. And right, isn't it? Wait, wait, we got, I to, the, go, we got guys. to we got to the the second verse of the first song of the tour, and he got a phone call, and it was like, <laughs> "Okay, guys, I gotta go. I gotta go home." Sorry. <laughs> Turns out I gotta go. And, yeah, but, I can't. But, I but, can't yeah, but 2000, 2003 was the year of a lot of a lot of activity. Um, uh, you know, we had we had Audio Slave. There was Foo Fighters. There was probably that promo stuff. I don't know, but I, I don't know if that was for NOS or for Epitaph. I remember the first. I remember going to Bakersfield. We drove to Bakersfield in the van, and there and it was a hockey arena in Bakersfield. And I, I'm trying to think. I feel like that was Foo Fighters, but I could be wrong. Um, do you guys remember if we did that Audio Slave run first and then Foo Fighters later, or the other way around? I think maybe the other way around. So Foo Fighters kind of like, it was like this opportunity to get on Foo Fighters for a little bit. And we, Actually, we you know what? I, I take that back. I think Audio Slave might have been first because I remember talking to some of the dudes in Sparta on the Enlightenment mm. tour. And I said, yeah, we're going to play with Audio Slave. And one okay. of the dudes was okay. like, do you think you're ready? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I looked at him and I was like... Of course we're ready. We've got this combo got right combo. here. You've got two combos. Two combos. Do you think ready. you're ready? What the hell do you mean? <laughs> well, I thought I was, but now. Yeah. The Audio Slave Tour was uh, like theaters, as I recall. Yes. Like, like big venues, but not yeah. gigantic venues. Yeah, pretty good size. Like um, Spokane. I remember Spokane. Which is, yeah. I think, the only time I've ever been to Spokane. Yeah. It's, it's the only reason to go to Spokane is to is to play a show with Audio Slave, but uh, I've met, I filmed a bunch, uh, several of the shows from like the balconies and stuff, and I we we had, I think we had merch to sell, and it was a whole thing. But I remember the first show we were setting up. I don't know wh- where the venue was. I don't know the city, but I remember setting up your stuff on stage, which took you know six or seven minutes because that's all the gear you had, and you know, and there was no riser. Your your combo was on the right on the ground. You know, there was like, it felt like this giant stage of like 10 acres of like carpet and we're like occupying like about four feet of it. Jeb sets his base up in like three minutes. And for some reason, Pat's amp had like some little problem. I'm like, I'm like, and I remember bending over it, like leaning over and like fucking with it, you know, the amp. And then I feel on my ass this slap. I turn around and it's Chris Cornell walking by laughing. 
And I'm like, did Chris Cornell just slap me on the ass? <laughs> and that was like our introduction to Audio Slave. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Well, I guess I think I was in the right position because I was like really bent over the amp. So I really had it up there. So I think he just was like, this is an opportunity I can't resist. I don't know. <laughs> it was a funny introduction. It was like, oh, okay. This is a, this is a, this happened. Okay. Okay. That's cool. <laughs> Well, I think about it now and it was like insanely ballsy because like their crowds are like sort of like a, not like a new metal crowd, but like definitely like people who like hard rock and like, you know, uh, they didn't know us at all. Our, they probably never heard anything about us and we were just up there like a little trio, but I think it probably sounded kind of big, like often a trio will if everyone's set on stun because you can everybody can just kind of rip and it doesn't get super cluttered sounding so we did okay i I don't remember any time anyone was mad and people would clap and shit so i mean i think they were confused but not mad i'll say this in 98 rocket did a full like six or seven week tour opening for soundgarden and those people were mad That we did not enjoy, we did not enjoy the the same level of like acceptance and uh, open mindedness. Oh, yeah. Also, we were the first band, you know, on that tour, so like mm. people were just excited to be there and they were stoked. And like the second band, I think, has a harder time sometimes because people are getting a little impatient. Like, yeah, I'm not here to see you. Like, yeah, that's true. That's true. The first band gets to be like, hey, you know. We're we're Joe Schmo from Idaho. Let's play some jams for you guys. And people are like, oh, "That's cool." They're like, "Oh, that's yeah. pretty good." I didn't know about this. Yeah. And then, yeah, then second I, band has a I, tough. Uh, you know, I got to think, and it's funny that there was that kind of tolerance because Audio Slave was basically Rage fans. When you think about it, yeah. they were like, "We want Rage," except now we have Chris Cornell, and we're going to try this out. They were and, already conceding, right? They were already like, "Okay, we're not going to get Rage." Now, who are these special goodness guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the Foo Fighters, it was the same thing. You know, it was like, it was definitely, like, the Foo Fighters had pretty accepting crowd, you know? I mean, it was us and then the transplants and then the Foo right. Fighters. The transplants. I'll, I still have, like, these kind of nightmare memories of, like, them sound-checking that that crazy piano riff from their their, their single. From the Garnier like, commercial? Like, 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 echoing through the whole uh, arena, like, out of here nothing against nothing against the transplants but that was a hideous sound that they made <laughs> like how many shows did we do with the food fighters couldn't have been that many it was at no. least six or seven it was like a little like a little yeah. honestly i don't remember shit about the food fighter shows and it's strange i think i remember dave Grohl coming out and looking at our setup on stage once and was like kind of checking out my amp. A semi is this a combo? Yeah, he's like, this is a combo? Like, what? <laughs> Bolstered by shows with the Foo Fighters and Audio Slave and airplay on the storied LA rock station K-Rock, the special goodness then leveled up by connecting with the folks at Epitaph Records. Founded by Bad Religion guitarist Brett Gurewitz, 
The label was home to massively popular releases by Rancid, The Offspring, and No Effects. It was so much more like infrastructure and realistic planning than what we had done the first release with, you know? So yeah. it, it, de- it definitely felt like there was a lot more support just to be had. Um, I don't remember a lot of press or anything around it. I don't, I don't really remember. Do you remember life goes by on K rock for like three weeks? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. We were like, we were the, the top eight or top five and five or whatever the fuck top nine and nine. I don't know. We were like doing really good. And then you, me and Scott Parker went in and met with Kevin Weatherly. Yeah. It was a crazy t- thing though. He's like, so do you have a label? It's like, well, we're going to put it out. It was like, well, you know, can you, can you live up to what comes with a song being on the radio? And we were kind of like, yeah. Like, I don't <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, so they were playing it like every night and it kept getting like voted up by, you know, people in the city would call in and be like, you know, we want to hear this song. And so it made it to the top spot you know for like many many like a while like two weeks or something it was like the top thing at top nine and nine or whatever the top yeah, thing is yeah. and then they started playing it during the day not a bunch but a bit and, yeah, yeah and then yeah. a couple other stations around were kind of starting to play it too and, and it was like it was like a crazy exciting thing for me because i had never really been on the radio like that i was like this is fucking rad you know what else is rad? The fact that there's finally a vinyl edition of Land, Air, Sea after all these years. Following the Epitaph release, Weezer shifted into high gear, and the band has continued to keep Pat very busy with huge tours and massive hit records. Adam's been busy too. He went on to join up with The Offspring and has since played with everyone from Angels and Airwaves to Against Me. With its members booked up by their main bands, the special goodness was more or less put on ice. Their story doesn't quite end there. Adam and Pat did record a few more songs that have yet to see the light of day. And in 2012, Pat reignited the special goodness and returned to his one-man band Roots with the DIY release Natural. Will Pat and Adam someday reunite under the SG banner? We certainly hope so here at Wastoids. As we close this mini-series out, I wanna thank Carl, Pat, and Adam for their time, especially Carl whose archives proved immensely valuable in reissuing this record. I've loved this album for a long time. To my ears, it's the perfect middle ground between Weezer's Green Album and the more heavy-focused Maladroit, and it's been beyond fun revisiting it and listening to it. Most of all, it's been a lot of fun getting to know these three guys. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. To get your vinyl copy of Land, Air, Sea and your awesome new Special Goodness shirt, head over to thespecialgoodness.com. The Special Podness is written and produced by me, Jason Woodbury, and executive produced by Sam Means, charter member of the Weezer Fan Club, who also does art for the show. Gems and George Santa Cruz assist with Wastoids production as well. Find more from us over at wastoids.com and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter. Twitter.